Thank you. Actually, I was just thinking about Pastor Kong. He too, City Harvest Church, which is 25,000 strong now, were the first people on the site when the tsunami hit um, Indonesia. And they even set up um, operations and even people in the church that went as helpers found themselves in the theatre being assistants to people doing operations and things like that. But they've got people on hand ready to step in and just take control and know what to do whenever there's a um, disaster like that. So it's, it's really good to partner with them. It's great to be back with you all. I've been missing you all. <laughs> I've been away a lot. Um, it's good to see new faces. Good to see you, Liz, on the worship team now. And Biff stepping out with you, song leading. And uh, just and, and did you know that Pastor Stephen Alley had a son this week? Yeah, Charlie Michael arrived. So I thought that was really exciting. It's a bit early, but the timing's perfect because Alley said it's going to arrive right when the finals were on if he didn't come early. So it was so good. He arrived on the 10th. A bonny boy, eight pounds seven, I think he is. Lovely bonny boy. And um, Ali's home now. And uh, it's just, just lovely that he's arrived. Many have been asking about how I've got on. I've been away with a week, a week helping nurse my father. My parents both live in a retirement village in Waikanae, but Dad now needs 24-hour care, and we've been waiting to get him into a, a, a hospital. But I'm actually quite thankful that the Lord has delayed that because all the family members have had a chance to rally round and, and take on the roster and, and be there to, to support and love and meet their needs, and it's, it's a privilege to do that at this stage. He's 88, not able to work, walk by himself and needs help with most of his um, functions now, but um, it was just lovely to have that whole week with him, and, um, and he's a godly man, and it's wonderful to be able to pray with him and encourage him and prepare him for the next transition, and um, just, just rejoice in that he spent his life honouring the Lord. I was looking at Lynn here, he actually stepped, stepped out of the exclusive brethren but he was at high school and paid a tremendous price to walk in the freedom he had. So it's wonderful at the end of the age for a person who's spent their life serving the Lord. So I had a wonderful week and came back yesterday. But I've been thinking about what's happening in our church this year. It's actually an exciting year. I remember we had a very strong prophetic word right at the beginning of the year. And um, do you remember it? <laughs> the Lord was going to enlarge us. He wanted to increase our capacity. He was going to... He had, you know, just, we had to enlarge our tent, but it was going to mean enlarging ourselves, enlarging our capacity, enlarging our heart, actually changing us. And as I've been in and out this, this term, I've realized that just about all the messages are dealing with, with deep things in us that are helping us grow and change. I heard Pastor Steve last Sunday night talk about the fire of God, burning and refining our hearts and changing us and Mike's been doing a lot of work about getting rid of old mentalities, getting rid of victim mentality, getting rid of all this stuff that limits us. And um, I've realized, hey, this, God's growing us this way. And um, I believe we're all ready for, for more, to go more, go deeper. Let's just lift up our hands and invite the Holy Spirit to come. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you've got your hand on us as a church and you're growing us and you're changing us and Lord, we just say more. We want more of you. We want you to change us. We want you to, to grow us. We want you to prepare us for the, the more things that you've got for us, that we'd carry more of you. And so we say, Lord, continue, grow. Let the fire burn. Let the things that are in our lives that hinder and obstruct, let them be revealed that we might change and grow. Amen. Man, so I just felt to go on the same theme. It's sort of best to talk about what God's doing in you and through you and what's familiar to you, which is 
actually the same theme as what he's been, I think, speaking to everybody. And I'd like to speak particularly on whether we react or whether we respond. And I want to challenge you and, and talk to you about the difference about, between reacting or responding, because I've found I've had to learn to look at my reactions and think about them and make uh, better responses. Because um, God doesn't want us bogged down with pettiness and small thinking and limited thinking. And, um, and uh, the man that built his life on the rock, he actually had to dig deep. He dug deeper right down to the rock so that he could build a solid foundation. And I think God's just digging deeper and deeper and deeper. And you feel like, God, you know, when are you going to stop this? But uh, it's part of the process because he wants to build us strong, able to carry much more. So he's digging deeper. But the trouble is that the times we get enlarged are actually difficult times. One of my favorite verses, well, not favorite, one of the verses I've found to be true is Psalm uh, 4, verse 1. You have enlarged me when I was in distress. How many people have found that it's actually through a difficult time, a stressful time, a time when everything's really, really hard, that is the time you can grow. You don't necessarily grow, but it is the time that you can have a, an opportunity to grow. And if we can look at these times through those eyes, I'm sure we'll um, start to, to welcome, actually, the times of trials and difficulties because we'll see how much we can grow. Um, and it's the same for the people that came out of Egypt. He took them right out of Egypt. And I remember um, Shane talking about the slave driver mentality that had years, 400 years in Egypt as slaves, driven by slaves under bondage. And God had purpose to bring them right in to a promised land, abundant life, flowing with milk and honey, inheriting the promises. But to get from one mentality to the other mentality, he's going to have to put them through a lot of things, and he intended to change them and prepare them for what he had for them. So there's another interesting verse. It says in, um, um, in Deuteronomy, have I got it here? Um, Right, it's maybe further up. He says, uh, all the reason he took them through the earth, Deuteronomy 8, verse 2. God led them 40 years in the wilderness, and the purpose of this whole process was to humble them. Ah, I hate being humbled. (laughs) Being humbled means to admit that you're wrong, that you need someone to help you, that you can't do it all by yourself. You like to be strong and independent, but it doesn't work that way. And you've got to actually deal to your own pride and be humbled. And, and to prove you and actually let you see what's in your heart. Ah, I don't want to look at that. I don't want to look at what's in my heart. But actually, this is how it happens. He actually wanted to see whether we'd keep his commandments or not. So he gave you lots of opportunities where things didn't go very well and you had difficulties and problems and needs. And what he wanted to see is, What's going to come out of my people now? Are they actually going to listen to what I told them and listen to my words, or are they going to react? Well, I don't know. How, um, to turn these emotional times to growth, most people actually react. Um, we just don't like facing change. Who likes facing change? Who finds themselves reacting when they really don't want to react, but they do? 
and 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 if you if you just react and 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 don't um, capitalize on that experience, you actually you keep hurting and, and you don't change. But the way we react, well, we usually either um, manipulate other people to meet our needs. <laughs> uh, we usually justify ourselves because we really do believe we're right, and we really go to quite a lot of effort to prove that. Um, you might get very angry and and upset and um, really. Uh, actually, there's two main responses. It's what you call the flight or the fight. So the fighters usually get angry and aggressive and control everybody and let everybody know that you know they want what they want, and um, and they have a whole lot of behaviours to show that. The people that flight usually withdraw, get out of it, shut down, uh, just don't talk and um, and make and make excuses or blame. Um, often they form negative beliefs. Um, they take a hike, leave the church, get offended, do all sorts of things. But actually, that's quite common that people around us in the world react. What do you do? Have you ever discovered what your pattern is of coping when you have a really difficult time? Because that's quite a, a hard question to ask yourself. I know, I just withdraw. I'm out of here, shut down, and try to keep myself safe. But others... We'll do something else. Have you ever asked yourself, what, what do I do if I, if I wasn't godly and didn't remember to, to, to reach out to God in this situation? What's my natural response that I've learned over the years works for me? Well, anyway, how did God create man to live? It's always good to go back to design because all these things have happened because we've come out of the way we're designed to live. Now, man was created to live at oneness with God. God wanted man to um, draw and listen to the voice of God and to express God in the earth. We were designed to live in harmony with God and in oneness with God. In fact, it says in, in Matthew 4.4, 4, um, when Jesus was being tempted in the wilderness, he said, man doesn't live by bread alone. He lives out of every rima or every word, a quickened word that comes from the mouth of God. We're designed to live out of hearing God's voice all the time, the voice now that he's speaking to you now, and responding to that. That's how we're designed to live, just in tune with God and living, living out of harmony with God. And um, we're not designed to live independent of God. It's just not, we're not wired like that. Um, we're actually designed to draw all our life from him. He's the life source. And... Um, and, uh, and God's bringing us back into that. Because if we can come back to live the way God designed us to live, living in harmony with God, listening to the voice of God, walking with him, then we'll have a life that's healthy and whole and, and we'll have all the joy and prosperity that goes with living that way. And, um, and the Bible said that the commandments, is, the first commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind, and just draw your life from him. And then... To become a channel of that life, to, to love other people like you love yourself. Now that's a problem for a lot of people for a start because they don't like themselves. <laughs> They've actually formed beliefs that they're not good, they're not like themselves, they're not worthy of love, they're shut down, they're, they just actually have got a whole lot of inner, inside beliefs that make them feel that they can't receive love. And if you don't love yourself, then you won't be able to be a channel of it. You take up an offering for other people, you think, well, I could do with that money. I'm poor too. You know, 
you can't just release. But if you've received and said, God, you're so good to me. You meet my every needs. I have no needs because everything I need you supply. And you just live that way. When there's a need, it's just a joyful thing to give because God's a giver. And, 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 and that's the natural way we're designed to live, to express his life. But, um, you know, this is how, how we're designed to live. But because um, man got separated from God, sin came in and got separated from God, now we've had years and years and years of, of living another way and, and coping with other ways. And so that's why we, we react. And, um, and, and, and so we've got to, God wants to bring us back now into the way he wants his sons to live. But for us, it's a learning curve because we didn't start off our life here on earth that way. We didn't know the Lord. We just started living and all sorts of things happened to us and we had all sorts of ways we coped with it and all sorts of deep beliefs got formed inside of us. And now all of a sudden God wants to change us and enlarge us. We've got to start to change how we respond when situations come up. And that's what I've been finding. I've, I've actually been trying to find how I react and, 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 and stop. <laughs> just, just don't go there for a minute. Let's actually create a bit of space. And now think, whoa, how can I respond? I want to choose to respond. I actually want to stop and think about it and choose how to, how to get God's perspective on the situation. And I've got to actually make myself do it because it doesn't come naturally. I'm learning this. I'm learning to catch myself reacting and then learn to respond in, in, a, in, a, in a more appropriate way. And it actually takes humility. <laughs> You've got to say, you know, my thinking's not right. And it takes effort. It's taking me effort. I've got to practice a whole lot of new skills I haven't had before. And um, I'd rather just shut off and be out of here, really, than to actually face and walk through some of these things. Am I the only one? Oh, that's good. <laughs> it's hard to give up old ways of thinking. I think it's hard anyway. Change my views. Change my opinions. Change my ideas. Surrender them. It actually takes hard work. And, but God's on our case. God is really wanting us to, to change and to work with him. So I was, reading, I was reading an Acts. I thought, this is a good test case. These, new Christ, um, these Christians in the New Testament, just see there's three um, situations that Paul and Silas faced. And I wonder how we would react if we were in their shoes, out there doing Holy Ghost ministry. In Acts 16, I looked at each one of them. I thought, what would I have done? They had quite a few difficulties and trials when they were out on the road. I mean, these mission trips we do are not all nice. <laughs> Ah, I remember one day arriving in Singapore at one in the morning. We'd lost our connecting flight. We lost my bags. I still in Manila. I lost my connection. Lost the phone number because we had the wrong phone number. And here I was, nobody inside and just me. <laughs> oh, you know, you have situations and you can react and get all upset. Or you can think, God, what do I do now? <laughs> Show me what to do, you know. And it's like that for these people too out on the road. So I'd just like to look at um, the, the three situations that, that they faced. In Acts 16, verse 16, um, it came to pass, and Paul and Silas were going to prayer, and a certain woman possessed with a spirit of divination met us. And this, this woman was a fortune teller, and her bosses got a lot, a lot of money out of her. She, she made them really rich because she was a fortune teller, and she worked with a spirit. But this, this girl, they recognized anointed men of God. You know, spirits recognize anointed men of God? It was fun in um, Cambodia. 
the spirit, the people that were demonized knew when the Christians were coming. They said, here come the Christians, here come the Christians. It's amazing. They actually recognized and anointed me to God. So anyway, this woman, or the spirit within the woman, um, they, they, they knew that Paul and Silas were anointed, and they, they kept walking around after them. And they kept saying, these men are the servants of the Most High, which show us the way of salvation. And she did this for many days. And I wonder what we'd be like on a mission trip. We're out there trying to preach. And all the time, for many days, someone is running around behind us, yelling out, for a start, I wondered actually whether I'd actually go many days. <laughs> but you know, when we move with the spirit of might, we're supposed to accompany it with the spirit of counsel. We're supposed to ask God, what do I do? When do I do it? How do I do it? So Paul is obviously sensitive to God because the minute he confronted that thing, that shut down his ministry in that place. So um, I thought that was an interesting test. Would we actually wait on God until he told us to, to, to confront that spirit? Or would we get angry with the girl for a start? Because it actually wasn't so much the girl, it was the spirit that was the trouble. Often we can get upset with people, for goodness sake, woman, get out of here, yeah, 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 and deal with the woman. But they knew what they were dealing with, and they knew it was the spirit, and they waited on God till the time to confront it. So I thought, well, that was a good test. I thought we'd get irritated, impulsive, maybe intimidated, or mad at the girl. But he asked God and got the right timing, and when it was the right timing, he was able to go in great boldness, and address the spirit. Now, that wasn't the end of that story. Um, that carried on. But when he did confront that spirit, and the masters realized they weren't going to get money from her anymore because she brought in all their money, they then started falsely accusing them, going to all the people in the city, telling them what troublemakers these were, and made a lot of accusations about them. And it was all for their own agenda because they were losing money. And so then they were stripped, they were beaten with many stripes. And then they put them not only in prison, but the very deepest prison where their feet were in the stock so they couldn't get away. Wow, that was a bit of a tribulation and a trial. <laughs> wonder what you would have done then. The fighters would have got injustice, they would have got angry, angry at God maybe, angry at the people, or maybe they'd been the ones that would um, get all full of self-pity. wonder what you would have done then. It's a good question to ask you, but I, how would I have reacted? Again, these guys are amazing. It says here that they prayed, they sang praises. Wow! They obviously responded instead of reacted. They actually opened their heart to God. And you know, when you do that, when you actually start praying and, and singing praises, you're now then connecting with God, your source, and he was able to have a flow of life and grace come into them and, um, and, and bring heaven to earth, basically, because of their response. And you know, the more I'm thinking about it, um, you know, um, the presence of God is still carried on the shoulders of his people. Um, and, and, and to Samuel, one stage, they wanted to bring the presence of God into the city and they made a newfangled cart. God said, no, you can't carry my presence on your latest big idea that's easy for you. It's still going to be carried on people's shoulders. We're priests, and we've got to carry God's presence. And, and when they carried God's presence, they did six steps, and then they did a sacrifice. And they did another six steps, and there's a sacrifice. 
But it speaks to me, it's actually in walking it out and it's sacrifice all the way. It actually costs you something. Imagine what it would cost those guys walking through that night, in the, I mean, not walking, they're, they're in prison with their feet bound up, having that whole night in prison with their feet in stocks and their back really, really sore. And, and it was a sacrifice of praise. They had to go through those hours and, and respond right. And they chose to respond right. And um, the amazing thing is, when, when they responded right um, uh, and, and, and magnified God, that, that released a miracle. That released God to move. We could actually make the way for God's power to come into our situation when we respond right. If you praise God in circumstances, it releases him to have to come in and, and, and do something in those circumstances. So um, by doing that, um, there's a huge earthquake. And again, imagine then, if you're still in the prison, there's a huge earthquake, and the jailer was there. Wow, some of us are thinking, well, now's my time. God's come through for me. I'm out of here. <laughs> you think, well, God's answered my prayer, and straight out of it. But you know what? God's actually more important, interested in people around you than you being safe. Ah, that's a revelation. He's actually not totally concerned about you getting out and being out of danger. He was actually interested in the jailer. And if we will stop and bring God into the situation and demonstrate a different spirit, that's what causes people to be saved. God wants to get this community saved. You know what it's going to be like? It's going to be like you going through difficult times, but stopping, not reacting, but operating in a different spirit, bringing God into the situation, and, and these people will be saved because they think, wow, where did that come from? Even in 1 Peter, it says to wives that have got unsaved husbands, you don't even have to say a word, but just have a different spirit. Just be loving and gracious and kind. And they'll think, wow, that old nag's changed. She used to be a real to live with, but she's nice now. I like what she's on. <laughs> you know? If they see a different spirit, that will win them. It's true. It's actually what you carry and what you, if you can let the life of God come through you, that's what caused this people to be saved. So I thought it was interesting. That jailer, I mean, that jailer was probably quite a mean, hard-hearted old guy that had given these guys a hard time. But um, I looked at Paul's response there. First of all, he, he gave God an opportunity to touch that man's life. And he saw that they praised and, and reached out to God, when, even though they were in tremendous pain, saw the miracle. But then look, he's still fearful because his life was at stake. If he lost any one of those people they would have taken his life. So he was full of fear and about to kill himself. So the first thing Paul did was remove the fear. He said, look, don't be frightened. You don't have to be fearful. Because he wanted this guy's heart opened up, not only to them, but to God. And one of the first things you've got to do to open people's hearts up that are hard-hearted is to remove the fear. So he said, don't be frightened. It's okay. I've actually looked after your interests here. All of us are here. He made sure that none of the other prisoners got away. He actually served that man. He, he looked after his interests. And um, he, he said, None, nobody's escaped, and, 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 and we care about you. Don't, don't, don't take your life. We're here. It's okay. I thought, because he, he did all those things, he, looked, he served the man, and sometimes by going and serving and serving in the schools and serving in workplaces, meeting somebody else's interests and, and, and taking the fear away from them. You're not making them in a spot. 
um, that opens them up. And then not only did that man get saved, but his whole household got saved. I thought each one of those things were reactions. But you see, Paul didn't start off that way. I thought I really identify with Paul because he was actually a rabbi and um, he, was, he, was, he was there when Stephen was stoned. And then he was on a mission. He was fuming inside and fuming outside and he got permission to go and round up all these Christians because he really thought he was doing God a favour. He actually thought he was right. <laughs> he really thought that these people were not what they should be and that as a Jew he had the right to go and, um, and get rid of them because they were... Um, they were, they were not what, what, what he thought was the right way they were living. And I thought, even we're like that sometimes, we're so fixed that we think we know what's right. We can even be doing a lot of harm thinking that we're right. <laughs> this strong-minded man got just arrested on the, on the road. God just zapped him. And I, I love it. He, he, he blinded him and he had three days on his own, no food, no vision, on his own to change his whole thinking. And God said to him, why are you persecuting me? It must have really shocked his whole thinking. He actually thought he was doing God a favour, but God was pointing out, those people, they're carrying me. What you're doing to them, you're doing to me? They're my vessels, and when you hurt them, you're hurting me? I thought, wow. He must have really struggled over that lot. And then he says, when you're resisting God like this, it's actually really hard on you. You know, it hurts you when you resist God. All those things that you do and you react, which are actually resisting God, hurt you more. <laughs> they hurt other people and they hurt you. He said, it's hard for you to kick against the pricks. It's hard for you to be independent and, and fight against me. And then I thought it was even good. He even got a person. He had to wait until one of those Christians that he was out to, um, to, to get came and laid hands on him. And he got his vision and he got baptized in the Holy Ghost. Wow. That was amazing, isn't it, that... All, God did all those things to teach him that it's, it's, we are the carriers of his glory. And he, he obviously turned right around after his encounter with God. And then he started thinking a lot more because he drew his life from God then. He realized, you know, he's able to release this life to others instead of reacting and resisting God. I love the way Bill Johnson says we're here to represent God. Jesus isn't here now, but we can present Jesus to people. We represent him. Just a beautiful way of looking at it. And um, his hands were his feet. But whether we react or respond, the whole thing is a heart issue. You know, I can't believe how many scriptures and thoughts I've been thinking this week about the heart. When you start to think about something, it seems to be everywhere. Actually, there's 955 verses about the heart. <laughs> the heart is just so, so important. Um, in fact, in Proverbs 4, 23... I love the um, NIV version of this. He says, above all else. In other words, the most important thing you can do, the most important, but above everything else, you, this is something you have to do. God's not going to do it for you. You've got a job. Guard your heart. Because out of your heart are all the issues of life or all that's going on in your life as a result of what's in your heart. And you see, the Spirit of God um, wants to, has to flow through our heart to be released. And God wants to be released through us. But the heart, the condition of the heart, is the key thing, whether he can flow through you or whether it, it doesn't, he can't flow through you. And it's all to do with what's in your own heart. Oh, 
You know, the people in the wilderness that he took out of, out of, out of Egypt, it says in 1 Corinthians 10, with a lot of them, he wasn't well pleased. They didn't come into what God had. They actually just stumbled. It lists in 1 Corinthians 10 all the things that they stumbled over and didn't respond right in. They just did other things, gave themselves to idolatry and all sorts of things. And because of their heart condition, they didn't come into the things of God. And it also says in, in Hebrews 4.2, he said the word was preached. And I mean, the word's preached here to everybody. But whether it's going to change you or make any difference to you will depend on your heart. The word's got life in it. The word of God is powerful and is able to change you. But the, whether it will change you or not will depend on your part of it, man's part of it, the heart condition. Because the two of them, the word has to be mixed with what's in your heart to release the goods. <laughs> so I said, if it's not mixed with faith, um, then it won't accomplish what it's said to do. And, and the Bible talks as, as a key parable, the parable of the sower. And it says, the, the seed that went into the ground is the word of God. But there's just different types of soil condition. And it depends on the soil condition whether fruit came out of that person's life or not. So the soil and what condition it's in is a, is a picture of what your heart's in. And, um, and, it's, and it's our personal responsibility to actually nurture and look after the condition of our heart and also to receive and establish God's words in our heart. Two things we've got to do. It's not done for us. If we neglect our heart, don't even become aware of it, and, and, it's, and, it's, and it's in a condition, it may be in a condition that God is not able to flow through you at all. But we have to um, uh, know and be aware and prepare the, our hearts to receive God, God's words, and also to actually allow God's words to be established in our hearts. And, and this is amazing, right back in, 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 in the Garden of Eden, this is the job he gave to Adam. Adam's work was, one, till the ground. In other words, Turn the soil over. I want you to work on the soil and have it in a form that it can receive seed. And I want you to protect that ground so that stuff doesn't come in it and, 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 and endanger it and, um, and um, just hedge it about and guard it. That was the work God gave to Adam. It's still the same work he's given us. Till the ground of your heart. Prepare the ground of your heart and protect it. Because it's a very, very precious thing. Your heart is extremely valuable and extremely precious because out of that, all your, what happens in your life happens out of what's in your heart. So it has to be a very, very important commodity. Amazing. God looks on the heart. Man looks on outward appearance, but God looks on hearts. It's amazing how God can see the condition of our heart. Even demons can see the conditions of people's heart, you know. It says when people have been delivered, if their place is like it's swept out and clean and and they've got rid of all their um, sins and things they're involved in, they'll come back and they find you know, there's no, nothing there for it to um, have access on. But God looks on hearts. We've looked a lot this year looking at David as a man of God and what his heart was like. He certainly wasn't a perfect man, but his heart, he, he, he constantly inquired of God. Whenever he was going to battle, God, should I go to battle? What should I do? He just kept inquiring of God. And then he responded to what God said. He didn't say, oh, yeah, that's your opinion, God. This is my opinion. I think I'll go anyway. Whatever God said, he, he treasured and responded to. Um, he, he expressed his feelings to God. He had a, 
I love reading the Psalms because David was a man that had such an intimacy with God. He was able to talk to God. And, and he also took ownership very strongly of his own state. Then you have to read Psalm 51 after the sin with Bathsheba. And he said, Lord, it's against you. You only have I sinned. You really want truth in the inward parts. You're very concerned about what I've thought in my heart. I thought I was doing okay and it didn't really matter, but you've shown me something else now. And I thought, oh, I was so wrong. I thought it was not a big thing, but oh, now you've shown me what your word says. God, I'm so wrong. And, and just kept asking God to cleanse and purify his heart because he had a heart after God. So um, we need to examine our own heart conditions. And I believe it's a time that God's really trying to get access to, to, to our heart conditions. Um, the first one, I think a lot of our hearts need weeding. There's a lot of things that are embedded in our heart that are wrong and, and um, just wrong beliefs right at the heart level. It's not at the mind level. I, listened, I was listening to um, Shane Willard's tape as I was driving back yesterday and I laughed at the beliefs his dear old grandmother had. They were in a heart. Dear old 90-year-old lady wouldn't put makeup on lest she became a stumbling block to the young men and they lusted after her. <laughs> hilarious but that was in her heart she really really believed that and even though you might look at the circumstances and say that's ridiculous if she believed it for her her whole life was a reflection of what she believed in your heart because what you believe in your heart really really believe is expressed in your life so sometimes we've got things we really really believe in our heart that are not right one of the biggest ones I think is your own value if you really feel that you're not important, that nobody cares about you, nobody could love you, I'm not good enough. If that's really, really in your heart, in your deepest level, you won't be able to receive from God because you don't feel worthy. And so it's, it's a belief you've got to change. It's actually a lie. But for you, it might have been true for 40 years, 50 years, 60 years. But if it's not according to what the Bible says, it's a lie. And it's time that we came out. Because it says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Proverbs 23, 7. So, all your life is affected by your beliefs. Um, I was also listening to um, a little uh, video last night with Georgia, the king and I. Here's a man, the king of Siam. He really thought women were slaves and had no intelligence. He really believed that. His whole culture believed that. Until this English school teacher arrived and she knew her identity, she knew who she was, and she was an intelligent woman, and she started to affect his life. But, you know, his beliefs underneath were, whoa, shocked. And it's like that with a lot of us. We really, really believe a lot of things. All our family might have believed it. Don't do too much. You know, you know look out for those, you know, just lots of things can be sown into us, and it affects your whole life. And um, one thing I believed as part of my escape mechanism, that I didn't have a voice, that I couldn't speak into any situation. It was a bit of a revelation to realise, actually, I do have a voice. I can express my needs and my feelings. And um, I need to, at times, confront and express myself. But if you've believed all your life that nobody wants to hear you or you, have, you can't speak, and some people are like that, you actually feel that even though things are difficult, you've just got to be silent and take it on the chin and you can't do anything about it. You've actually got to be empowered that you can speak. You can, you've got to guard yourself. You've got to speak and express yourself. 
But if your belief has been something different, then these things have to change. They're wrong beliefs. Um, Shame, of course, we've had a lot of time talking about that because it's a deep belief that you feel that something's wrong with you. And um, and, and then often you think, you know, our whole, all our family, you know, we're not brainy, we're not rich, we're just kind of, you know, poor little second-rate people. If, if that's your belief, it's got to go. It's not true. And I believe there's a lot of weeding going on, you know, hopelessness. You've actually got a negative expectancy over a lot of things. You expect poverty almost. You expect marriage failures. It's, it's been what your experience has been all around you. It's, it's terrible meeting young people today that have never seen a successful marriage. They've just got such an expectancy that, it's a bit of a waste of time. It's never going to work. But these, these are wrong beliefs. And I believe God is probably working on all of us to weed out and to, and to expose some of these beliefs that are hindering us from growing. And the, and the second heart condition I just want to talk about for a few minutes is, is a closed off or a hard heart. Again, to close off your heart can be a reaction in my case, I used to close off my heart as a reaction, and it's a choice. You choose to close off your heart um, because you've been hurt. And a lot of people do that. They actually just close off. And you can um, detach. You can be unfeeling. You can just disassociate as a way of coping with pain. But that was actually a choice. It's a way you chose to cope with pain. But God's empowering us. We have the right to choose and we can make another choice. Wow. We can choose to open up. We can choose to guard our heart. And it's still our responsibility to guard our heart, even if we choose to open up. So I think it's important to start opening up to God for a start and, um, and believe that God is good. You know, some people have been offended by God. They've actually got wrong beliefs. They realize that God is, they think God's caused all these troubles. But it's came under a sin. But if you really now believe that God is good and that he heals broken hearts and that a lot of people around us think that you've got to keep all your emotions to yourself, and you read the Bible and you find that God went all the time to emotional people and healed their broken hearts. It wasn't, it might be cultural amongst English people not to express your feelings and things, but God often went to people that were very expressive of damage and pain and healed them. So... Um, we can open our heart and allow God to heal and restore it. Or we can stay shut and protect yourself. But one's a reaction and one's a response. It could be a reaction to stay shut off because you might get hurt again. But it's a response to say, God, I'm going to now open up my heart. I'm going to allow you to touch me and heal me. And I'm going to ask you to teach me how to guard my heart. Because we have to guard it. It's actually a bit silly to think that you can just... Um, We'll be attacked. One will be attacked by demons. Demons will come along. They, in, in the um, parable of the sower, the birds of the year were like demons, and they'll come along and try to pick away the seed. So you'll have fears. You'll have unbelief. You'll have um, all sorts of things that will come from the spirit world. And you just need to discern those and, and refuse them. But also other people. You've got to, um, you've got to, they've got to be trustworthy. <laughs> if they're not trustworthy... Then you put a line in the sand and say, well, I, I'm not going to open up my very precious things to you because you could damage me. I want to have a relationship, but unless you learn to be more trustworthy, I'll just have to protect myself from, from that. It's okay to do that because we have to guard our heart, even from ourselves. The Bible says don't cast your pearls before swine. 
Don't put your precious things out on people that are going to trample over them and not value you, not value your heart, not, not respect or honour you. Or, because God has a different way of treating people. We need to respect them and honour them. But if people are not going to be like that, then you've got to guard your heart. But it, it, so long as we learn our new ways of operating, it, we still can open up. Because if we don't open up, we can't receive the life from God and we can't release it to others. So I believe there's many that have maybe having to go through a season of, of learning to open up your heart afresh. You've probably closed it off to keep yourself safe. But we, we can't help other people if we're going to keep a closed off hard heart. And I know many here, the Lord's got you to face painful things and open you up again so that you can now be a channel of that life. Because other things can harden your heart. Bitterness is a big thing that hardens people's heart. You look at that story of David bringing the presence of God in on the, on, king, on the shoulders of the priest. And he was exuberantly expressing his love for the Lord, but his wife had become bitter. She was up there looking through a window and was barren. You know, God's going to bring tremendous presence and power of God into the church, but we can be like Michael. We can be like we're looking at it, observing it, not part of it, and quite barren in our life with God because of bitter roots. They both suffered under the same man. David had just as much a hard time under Saul as Michael did. But David was able to keep releasing it and letting it go and allowing God's life to come into him, whereas Michael just closed off and got bitter. Another thing that closes your heart is um, just pride and hardening your heart and refusing to, to, um, to, to follow the Lord's ways. And he says, people, and, and often he talked about the deceitfulness of sin. You actually so want to keep doing what you're doing, independence of God, and you're deceived by it, and you just keep thinking you're right, but actually you can stay hardened off to God by your pride and by your deceitfulness that, that your lifestyle has given you. Or um, it talks also about an evil heart of unbelief. You just, you just resist what God says is true. And, um, and that's evil, because, and it keeps your hard heart. But um, also he says in Hebrews, today if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. God wants us to um, begin to, in times of difficulty now, open up and, and, and respond differently. Don't react, respond. And um, he said, these people, you've, you've erred in my heart. You, you haven't known my ways. But we know God's ways now and we need to, just to start to respond differently, start to cultivate the soil in our heart. There's several things we can do to cultivate our hearts so they are open. One thing, if a heart's soft, if there's moisture, if it's soft, it, it can receive seed a lot better. And I believe if we um, take time in God's presence, especially where the anointing's flowing, this can really soften your heart. I love just listening to um, Christian music or um, some of the to, um, move up in Florida or just soak yourself and, and where the power of God is moving and, and allow your heart to be, to be softened by it all. Another thing is um, um, passionate praise and, and thankfulness. You know, just like David was expressing himself with passionate dancing, just expressing his emotion and passionately and being thankful to God, it just puts your focus in a different place. You start focusing on God's goodness. You start focusing and remembering what he's done and appreciating what he's done, and that opens up heaven to be able to come to earth. You actually choose to do it. 
But it does something inside you. It, um, it, it, it just, it, it, when you remember what God's done and, and, and thank him for it, you'll open up your heart and allow your heart to be soft towards God. And uh, another thing, the third thing is actually establishing truth in your heart. It's something um, uh, like, like um, Abraham. Abraham said he didn't look at the circumstances. Even though God told him he was going to have a son, he didn't look at Sarah being over 90. He didn't look at the natural circumstances which have just defied everything. He actually was fully persuaded on the inside that what God said he could do, he was going to do. Now, it, t- it takes a while to get a truth like God telling him you're going to have a son. I mean, that comes into your mind. But for that to be really locked and embraced in his heart, that took time. And God gave him two things to do which really helped that happen. He changed his name. So every time he spoke, Abraham, father of many nations, father of many nations, father of many nations, he repeatedly said the truth. He repeatedly declared the truth. He repeatedly said what God said over and over and over and over again. And everybody calling his name was declaring that truth. The reason is, this is one way of getting things that are in your mind down to your heart. And this is in your heart that's not going to affect your life. And also he says, look at all those stars up there. Your offspring are going to be like the stars. So to getting a picture, a visual picture of what God says is also a powerful key. And uh, the way we can get a visual picture is to imagine, to see pictures and, and meditate so that we see what God says is true, even though our heart hasn't quite grabbed hold of it. But eventually we'll get past it being just a thought to something that your heart is totally, fully embraced and believes and it's locked in there, established. And I believe some things really need to be established and built in our hearts. I am what God says I am. I can do what he says I can do. You know, this has to be alive inside us. I have what he says I can have. You know, these are truths. Names on specific promises. And by repetition, visualizing, um, seeing it, and believing it, eventually it'll be established as a, tr- as a new truth in your heart. And then you can be um, a source of, of life through you. But we have to take personal responsibility. We've got to be proactive in this. It's not just going to happen. Um, we've got to accept and take responsibility for it and be proactive. We've got to be proactive and guard and know the condition of our heart and work on keeping it soft and open. And we've got to be proactive about establishing the truth. I am a son of God. I'm a daughter of God. I'm righteous. God has made me righteous. I haven't got a shadow of doubt. I don't have to live with guilt. I've been made righteous. You know, so it's alive in you. There's no question about it. I am forgiven. I am an heir of all things. There's so many promises. But to get these alive inside of it, it's not just going to get there without an effort on your part. But um, I believe now if we just stop, uh, if you stop reacting, and every time there's a trial or a difficulty, don't react. Well, catch yourself reacting and, and identify your reaction. Try and identify what made you react that way because there's some belief behind it that made you react that way. If you really believe you've got to keep yourself safe and, and therefore you're, you're just out of here, that's a belief. Both are wrong. The escaping thing is not helping you relate to others and the belief that you've got to keep yourself safe is also wrong because God's a good God. He's helping you. He's with you. He's able to help you walk through it. So um, if we just stop reacting and, um, and just have a little bit of space and then choose, say, God, what's the godly response? 
How do you want me to draw on your grace? Because if you take a godly response, you'll get his grace and ability. And then it'll be a life-giving flow, and you'll give it to others. Okay? So I believe, I love that song you just sang, Kate, before about fire, fall down. I believe this should be the cry of our heart, that the fire of God will keep refining us, because there's a refining fire. And this is the fire we want to keep in our midst, because it's refining our hearts. It's refining our inner lives. It's refining us on the inside. And I believe if we keep crying out and welcome the Holy Spirit, welcome the fire to come, I'd I'd like to lead you through a prayer, and then um, we'll sing this song. And I want you to just to welcome what God's doing in your life, so that you can um, continue to grow and be enlarged. So I'll lead you through. I'd like to pray it after me. Lord, I want to be a channel of your life and power. I need you. In you I live and move and have my being. Help me identify wrong beliefs in my heart and my ungodly reactions. I repent from closing off from you and hardening my heart. I choose to open my heart afresh to you and others. I draw on your grace to respond and not react. Teach me your ways. I want to turn every trial into an opportunity for growth. Amen. Also, before I close, I want to just give an invitation. If anybody here has never got connected again with God, we can't live without God because we're designed to live in partnership with Him. And because of sin, man's been separated from God. But if you were to open your heart to God today and invite Him into your life, you again will be able to hear His words and live as you're designed to live.